Marvel Cinematic Universe's latest Disney Plus series has finally wrapped up showcasing a superhero dealing with past trauma and struggling with his mental health. In fact, the MCU is full of heroes struggling with mental health issues, especially since Disney Plus launched. This week, we will look at Moon Knight and other MCU properties and their mental health battles, pulling out all of what we can for Mental Health Awareness Week. Are you ready? It's time to wake up. It's a new day. Yes, it is. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. Good morning, citizens. Open a damn fresh and shine. This is your wake-up call, people. Come on, the coffee's on. We're going to get you guys circulating on Christian radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. What's up, my I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Rise and shine, nerds. You're tuned in to the Back Row Morning Show, proudly a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. I'm Radio Matt, the station manager and a nerd culture missionary here at LTN. I'm a third-generation radio dude and a lifelong nerd. And I'm Mo, the chief cohort and crazy, here to bring the facts and fire to your day, and unfortunately, I just finished my coffee. <laughs> the Back Row Morning Show is a Monday through Thursday show on LTN Radio that covers a wide range of topics from all across church and pop culture, and we usually take a topic in fours, four segments focusing on different aspects of our weekly discussion. You're listening to a compilation of the main topic segments from this past week's morning shows. This week, we're talking mental health through the lens of the MCU. Before we jump into our discussions, Mo and I also have a side venture called Backrow Games, home of several Christian tabletop games, including our two most popular, Judge Not and Sunday School Answers. Sunday School Answers is the original Christian knockoff of Cards Against Humanity. All the awkward fun without the need to bathe in bleach afterwards to get all the sin off. Last month, we released three new booster packs, the Music Pack, the Cool Youth Pastor Pack, and the Your Dumb Ideas Pack, which is just a small pack of blank cards for you to write your own card ideas with inside jokes from your friends and family. This month, we will soon release the Y2K pack coming out and uh, the TV pack as well, uh, probably towards the end of May. Uh, We are working on a few more awesome packs, uh, including some larger ones for later in the year. You can check all of that out and get your copy of Sunday School Answers at backrowgames.com. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week, and we are going to be taking a look at mental health issues through the lens of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and its characters. Now, first of all, spoiler alert, we will be talking a lot about uh, key story elements of several MCU properties, today focusing a lot on a series that has just wrapped up, Moon Knight. Secondly, trigger warning. This week during these main segments, we're going to discuss some pretty difficult things that can be root causes for mental health struggles, grief, PTSD, etc. If you are currently struggling to the point where hearing it discussed could cause an issue, you might want to skip these topics. So without getting into the entire story of Moon Knight, uh, let me share some key elements. Have you, have you seen, did you watch any of Moon Knight yet? I, no. Not yet? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's worth a watch. Just, okay. Just so you're aware. That's okay. We're not diving too deep. We're just using these stories as kind of a jumping off point. So here are some key elements. Uh, Stephen Grant... The main character here, mm-hmm. at least in you know first episode, is a gift shop employee at a museum. However, he is worried that he's leaving his home when he's asleep. So you see him putting tape on his door, sand around his bed to see if there's any mm-hmm. footprints, and he chains his foot to his bed frame. Hmm. We soon find out he has another personality, Mark Spector, and Mark Spector is a superhero named Moon Knight. 
But we don't really need to talk about the superhero portion. This is more about Steven and Mark. Two personalities in one body. Mm -hmm. Now, again, spoiler warning here. In episode five, uh, they, they have died. They are on a ship, and in this death, they are in separate bodies here. They are like two separate characters Okay. in the afterlife. Okay. And on the ship carrying them to the afterlife, they are waiting for their scales to balance in order to, you know, pass on and not get sent to the whatever version of hell they're talking about here. And in order to do that, they have to stop keeping secrets from each other. So it's here that we see that Stephen is actually a false personality created by Mark as a child. Mark took his little brother to a cave that flooded and his little brother drowned. His mother was broken after that and blamed Mark well into adulthood. As a child and teenager, his mother would beat him. He developed disassociative identity disorder to hide from that pain in another personality. Mm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we're not really going to be diving into the, the heavier forms of mental, mental uh, illness, like dissociative DID uh, and things of that nature, because mainly we're not qualified <laughs> at all right. to talk about that. Um, but we are going to be talking about kind of the baseline mental health issues that a lot of us tend to experience at least at one point in our lives uh, and how we can go about handling those when the situation arise. Um, and even though we're not going to be talking about Disassociative, disassociative identity disorder, uh, what we can still see is some of the same um, methods of coping and methods of denial uh, in this story done in a different way than most people. But still, we see the, 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 the denial, the, the coping mechanisms. He ran from pain, like he wore a mask, uh, and over time, the lie took over as the main personality, which for us... It has been proven that uh, not only the more that you repeat a lie, the more you know people believe it, mm -hmm. but we also, I believe we read this story several years ago, that studies have now found that the more you repeat the lie, the more you yourself begin to believe it. And that's an actual, like, truly, you create false memories, mm -hmm. you believe you're the case. And so in this case... The more he pretended to be Stephen, the more Stephen started taking over as the main personality, and Stephen was completely unaware of anything else that was happening. Hmm. <clears throat> so today we're talking about hiding pain. Okay. So hiding it, let's talk about uh, denial, first of all. Like, a lot of what we're going to talk about this whole week is going to have to do with Celebrate Recovery, I'm sure, because that's our main connection to most of these issues. I told somebody the other night that I don't have denial. I'm nowhere near Egypt, so I don't know why people are like pointing fingers at me. How how would I steal a river? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have it. I don't have your denial, okay? Jeez. Mind your business. I don't have your denali either. I don't know. Um so for those of you who are, I mean, I'm sure y'all, everybody's heard that line of denial, ain't just a river in Egypt, but uh, I'm sure that some of you might not really know exactly what that is, but uh, at a simplest form, denial is just simply pretending something is not happening, mm -hmm. uh, pretending something doesn't exist or that something never happened. And uh, 
going along with that, um, going along with that, that the more you tell yourself the lie, the more you believe it thing is, uh, when you're in like a recovery process, and I know this is kind of mainly for addiction, but this is addictions really are the, uh, what was it? The, they're not the root. They're the, they're the plant that's growing. Mm-hmm. The root is usually stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so with denial, the more you tell yourself the lie, the more you ignore it, the more you pretend like it didn't happen, uh, you can often bury bad memories in your mind, especially childhood memories that were bad, uh, to the point where you forgot they ever happened at all. Mm-hmm. Um so, like I said, one of the things that we do in Celebrate Recovery, or any 12-step program, really, is step four. And step four is the, the make it or break it step. It's the, the one that separates the people who are, you know, just flirting with the idea of doing this whole recovery thing or who are really here to get it done, because this is a painful step. This requires you to go back as far as you can remember in your brain and literally write down every memory that you have. Every, every interaction, every time that you've hurt somebody, every time somebody's hurt you, mm. all of that. And one of the big warnings is, as you're doing this, you're likely going to uncover memories that you haven't thought about in possibly decades um, and that you've forgotten ever existed. And you need to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And that happened to me. Uh, when I went through step four, I, I uncovered... Uh, issues that I had with with both my parents, especially my mom, from when I was a young kid, that I had never even thought about. I'd never even put them together as to this could be why, mm-hmm. and it forced me to have to deal with them, and it 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 helped. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really does help. But it's uh, it was such a weird thing to have a memory just show up out of nowhere that the day before. I never would have been able to come up with. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's denial on like a large scale. That's like the effects of denial. But uh, even just simply like fighting with your spouse in the car, driving to church, and then the moment you walk through the church doors, you put on a smile and y'all are happy and y'all are a perfect couple. That's denial. Mm. In anything that you're stifling the truth... <laughs> to to put on a better front, whether that be for the benefit of others or even for yourself, is ignoring a problem, pretending a problem's not there. Mm-hmm. And you can't heal a wound by pretending it's not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think um, for myself, I... <sighs> This is going to come across as like my nose stuck up in the air (laughs) Um, and it's not how I mean it, but I am typically a very open person, a very upfront person, and I can also be kind of confrontational sometimes. What? Um, No. So mostly in my life, there hasn't been a whole lot of denial. Sure. Because I've typically addressed things. Typically wear wear your heart on your sleeve. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so for a long time, I can remember thinking that person is in denial. Seriously. Why can't they see it? Why can't they understand? It took me realizing that denial 
is in fact just a coping mechanism. I have very different coping mechanisms as to how I deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. However, denial is a coping mechanism and that's just simply how some people are wired to deal with trauma. You know, um, it's not greater than or less than my coping mechanism. It's just, it is what it is. Now, in order to fully face things and in order to fully get healing through whatever it is in our lives, we have to step out of that denial. We have to be willing to kind of, just like stepping out of a box, you know, you have this little box that you kind of feel safe in. Mm-hmm. If anything bad were to happen, you can just hunker down and close the box up around you and you're good. You're safe inside there, your little box of denial, right? The only problem is also inside that box with us is all the trauma and all the hurt. And if we want to get through it, I don't like saying if we want to get over it. I don't like that term. If we want to get through it, we have to address it. And addressing the denial is step one. Have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I've, I've, this is one of the life lessons I mention on the show all the time, but it's the, uh, it's the idea that we have to get past our fear of the unknown. Because just like you said, (laughs) just like you said, you could, you can wrap yourself up in that little box, but that little box is made of your misery. Yeah. That little box is you being miserable and you're always unhappy in that little box. But there is a certain level of comfort and safety and safety in knowing what to expect from this box. You might hate it, but it's the same every time. And so there is that level of comfort in that weirdness. Stepping out into the unknown (laughs) uh, (laughs) is scary. You have no idea what's coming. Now, God is telling you that if you surrender this to him and step out and let him start to use this for something better, that it's going to be better in the end. But you don't have that guarantee, you know, comforting your brain all the time. Mm -hmm. You only have what you know. And what you know is this misery. And so it's, it's almost more appealing to just sit and be miserable for the rest of your life than having to step out and deal with this because mm-hmm. it is going to be painful for a time. It's going to be very uncomfortable pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. And that scares a lot of people off. Well, yeah, because likely whatever it is that they're in the, in denial of has caused them massive amounts of pain. Mm-hmm. And so the thought of, I have to deal with more pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I'll just stay right here and continue dealing with the pain that I've already dealt with. Right. And I'll be fine. Yep. That's absolutely right. But just like you said, that is that is something you have to go through mm-hmm. if you want to come out the other side. And coming out on the other side is always, always so much better. You come out the other side stronger, wiser, and ready for the next time something bad happens like this. You'll already have plans in place. You'll already have accountability in place. You'll already have all these methods ready to go and know exactly what to pray for and all this. But it can't get anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't take that first step out of denial and deal with it. 
So in the story in Moon Knight, in this, it took almost the entire episode to get to that point where Mark would allow Stephen to see what happened and how Stephen came to be and all this. Like it, it was painful for Mark because Mark wanted to protect the character that he had come up with to protect himself. Hmm. He wanted to protect his coping mechanism. There are a lot of coping mechanisms, just like you said. A lot of us turn to uh, addictions of one kind or another, uh, whether that be something as bad as, you know, like actual hardcore drugs, you know, meth or cocaine, things of that nature, or even as seemingly less bad. Surface level. Yeah, surface level, like shopping, <laughs> spending too much money, which is something that I've dealt with. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite the dopamine hit. To uh, fill up that Amazon cart, <laughs> and so I get it. Mm-hmm. That's how I. Uh, that's how I garnered several hundred pops <laughs> and lost several thousand dollars for my family over the course of several years, mm-hmm. because that would become my coping mechanism, and I wouldn't even think about it. Wouldn't even think about it. It was happening. Not thinking about the consequences. Not thinking about the debt. Not thinking about any of that. Just like, hey, this makes me happy. It must be good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's that's biblical. And that's the same mindset that everybody has with whatever addictions you have. Like this is, this is taking my mind off the pain. So it must be good for Mm me uh, in the long run. And really it's just delaying, 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 delaying the pain. And you can do that your whole life. You really can. But that also means you're not growing. You're not going anywhere. Life's not getting any better. It's just staying at the same level of bad. Mm Mm-hmm. And it can get a lot worse, especially depending on the addiction. Actually, no, pretty much anything you can be addicted to can get a whole lot worse. I don't know why I'm giving it a qualifier. All of it can get a lot worse if you let it get out of hand. Because yeah. most addictions are progressive, if not all of them are progressive. Um, when it comes to like substance abuse, um, it, I mean, we can even use just cigarettes as a, an example. Everyone who smokes cigarettes knows... That the longer you smoke, the more cigarettes you have to smoke in order to get the same feeling right. that you got from half of a cigarette when you started. A first-time smoker does not start out as a five-pack-a-day smoker. Right. That's so many cigarettes. <laughs> but I, my brother would go that far. Yeah. My brother could get through uh, half a carton in a day, yeah. which I think is six. I don't know how many it is. But I think it's yeah, But yeah, I mean, it's... Like, I, I can't imagine what you, and how do you have time to do anything <laughs> at that point? It's just constantly smoking. Well, because they're but doing other things that's while true, they yeah. are. There's, yeah. It's no more going outside for a smoke. It's yeah. just now you live in it. Yeah. Um, but like every, every addiction like that is progressive. Uh, pornography, shopping, drugs, alcohol, all of it gets worse and worse. You justify it little by little over time and it becomes you. You become synonymous with your addiction. You become synonymous with this coping mechanism. Uh, and so, in a way, you are creating an entirely different personality than who you were before this started mm-hmm. and living in that instead. Yeah. Yep. So, what do we do about it? <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? Well, this is step one. Uh, stepping out of denial is important. So I guess the, the first step here is just to realize that you're in denial. Like if, if we're talking right now and you feel like we're talking about you, we probably are. 
So that's okay because we're talking about ourselves. Of course, yeah, uh, multiple times. Yeah, in our lives. <laughs> so to get to this point, if you're struggling with something, if you're addicted to something, if you realize you're using a coping mechanism, then seeing that, acknowledging that, would be, you know, your your first shuffle here on this road to uh, recovery. So we encourage you from here to just make that little step admit that you're dealing with something to somebody in your life mm-hmm. could be a pastor somebody you trust somebody who's safe but admit that you have a problem and that you don't know what to do about it and that's okay you don't need to know what to do about it yet but just coming to the point where you admit that there is one and that something does need to be done that's a good starting point mm-hmm We're going to talk about uh, a lot of different aspects of this, and it'll kind of might follow a a path a little bit on uh, where you can go. Um, But that's all for today's discussion. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about heroes in crisis. What's up, nerds? I'm Julian Jamar, and this is another episode of Reviews of the Nerds. The Secrets of Dumbledore. The wizarding world is descending into chaos as the infamous criminal Grindelwald is not only forgiven his crimes, but is also thrust upon them as a frontrunner in their upcoming election. Grindelwald's character is now played by Mads Mikkelsen, who looks so much like his co-star Oliver Masucci, I spent more time than I'd like to admit trying to figure out which one was which. Grindelwald has grayer hair. I'll save you some anguish. You're welcome. On the good side, your favorite wizards are back. The magical creatures are my favorite part of this series, and this movie is chock full of them. Newt Scamander is as adorable, quirky, and brave as ever. The world is becoming increasingly dangerous for muggles, so while they hatch their schemes to save the election, Jacob Kowalski is given a wand, so Grindelwald's people will think he is a wizard. That, that's a fun bit. He's so cute. As you may remember, the love of Jacob's life, Queenie, followed Grindelwald into the darkness at the end of the last movie. This storyline has developed quite a lot in this go-round, and that was good. They had a lot of explaining to do after pulling that stunt. Dumbledore is as clever as ever. You get to meet young Professor McGonagall, and Dumbledore awards Hufflepuff points after Newt answers a tricky question during a meeting. It's awesome. The climax is a nail-biter and also has a Marx Brothers-ish suitcase caper that keeps you laughing while you sit on the edge of your seat, wondering how on earth they're going to pull off a victory. Completely brilliant. Once again, I'm Julian Jamar, and this has been another Reviews of the Nerds. You can check out all my reviews on julianjamar.com. Welcome.
Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And every week, these four main segments get spread out across four daily morning shows on LTN Radio, and they include a lot more content, including weird news, random facts, games, challenges, rants, junk food, and more. And you can be part of all that by following us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash LTN on air, so you can be notified when we go live. You can even be a part of the show. And make sure you catch our full morning shows every Monday through Thursday on LTNonair.com at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10. This week, we're talking about mental health through the eyes of the MCU. Yesterday, we focused on the new Moon Knight series. Today, we're going to focus on several different recent series and movies. And first of all, spoiler alert, we will be talking about a lot of key story elements to several MCU properties this week. Secondly, trigger warning. This week, during these main segments, we're going to discuss some pretty difficult things that can be root causes for mental health struggles, grief, PTSD, etc. So if you currently struggle to the point where hearing it discussed could cause an issue, you might want to skip these topics. Before I get into the MCU, though, I want to share about a DC Comics short-lived series called Heroes in Crisis. Uh, of course, the story itself goes into deep waters, uh, but it's more the concept that I thought was very interesting. Heroes in Crisis is a nine-issue limited series written by Tom King, and the series follows the crisis naming conventions of prior DC crossovers. But unlike prior crisis events, Heroes in Crisis did not focus on a cosmic threat. Instead, it expands on the concept that King introduced in Batman, the Sanctuary Rehabilitation Center, which is based on veterans' crisis. Crisis centers. According to King, the idea for Heroes in Crisis was conceived in 2016 after he suffered from a panic attack and went to the hospital, and his grandmother, who raised him, died on the same day. King had to go through therapy, after which he decided to use what he learned in a DC comic. The homestead of the sanctuary on the cover of Heroes in Crisis number one is modeled after his grandmother's house as a tribute to her. Heroes in Crisis primarily deals with the emotional cost of being a superhero. It features several candid moments of superheroes and former villains letting their guard down and sharing their mental struggles. It's a beautiful idea. Uh, something the MCU might look into as well. In Black, Window, Black Widow, we saw Nat finding this in her quote-unquote family as she tried to find who she was and make sense of her purpose. In the Loki series, we saw Loki find that in uh, Detective Mobius and even in the other version of himself. In WandaVision, we see Wanda didn't have this at all. And even when she realized her issue, she didn't get help. Instead, she dug deeper into keeping to herself which we see the result in in Doctor Strange 2, currently in theaters. Essentially, the point of this discussion is therapy. Having someone qualified mm -hmm. to talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that Christians and therapy, the church and the idea of therapy, mm -hmm. have not mingled too well. Yeah. For most of our, <laughs> mm -hmm. most of our existence. Yes. What do you think that is, Mo? Why do I think that is? Yeah. Uh, because Jesus is our healer. <laughs> One of the, I, I know we're not specifically talking about celebrate recovery, but I remember in the first couple of years we were doing it or I was doing it and I was seeing results. I, I found this website that was like 100% against celebrate recovery. I'm like, why? Why? And so I read like some of the comments and stuff. He's like, if you're, if you trust in Jesus, he will heal you from everything. Mm -hmm. 
like, okay, you're addicted to something. Have you tried just laying it at the feet of Jesus? Mm-hmm. I'm like, that, that, that number one, how dare you? Number two, that's not always as easy as it sounds. Do you, has it always been easy for you to lay everything in your life, even the hardest things, even the addictions of your life at the foot of the cross, just with no guidance, with no help, with no like growing and discipleship and learning and any of this, like you just know how to do everything perfectly. And Jesus is like, good job. Click. You're done. No more addiction for you. That, that <laughs> I'm not saying that never happens. But I'm saying it's a rarity. It's a it's a guilt trip thing too. It's a it's a it's a holy roller thing. Like, oh, I just have Jesus. I don't know what you need that for. What is so sad about that is that it, it is it is led to such a stigma uh, that you know if we're not getting the help in the church, then it's not good help. And the problem with that is that pastors are not therapists. Pastors often do not actually know how to help with mental health issues beyond that surface level biblical knowledge. They're not really trained. They're trained in like marital counseling, kind of, at seminary. They're not trained to deal with mental health issues, with with you know severe past trauma, with um, you know most addictions. Not your average. Person. Not your average. Yeah, I mean, some, I mean, some yeah. are, and some have yeah. not. Like some are actually licensed therapists, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, that's not the position. Mm-hmm. But because there's been such th- this this such long standing stigma between churches and actual therapy. That's what the pastors have kind of been forced into. Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying that pastors uh, generally go out seeking, you know, to give that kind of advice. But if you have a member of your congregation who refuses to go see a therapist and thinks my pastor can solve all my problems, mm-hmm. well, the pastor is going to do their best with what they have to help. But they're not going to be able to do what a therapist is trained to do. Mm-hmm. And there are b- 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 millions, I'm sure, Christian therapists out there. Oh, yeah. That, you know, know that you're not here to compromise your faith with any kind of weird new age nonsense or anything like that, that you just want to get better and you want somebody who is knowledgeable on how to help make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Simple as that. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to speak from a place of, uh, personal experience. My, um, grandmother, my Nana was a huge advocate for counseling. Um, she, my uncle struggled with addiction his entire life from the time that he was about 11, very heavy addictions. Um, and so you know, back in the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, my Nana did a lot of Al-Anon, mm, which, yeah. you know, was a recovery group for family members of, of alcoholics. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, she went to a lot of Al-Anon meetings, had like books upon books upon books and was just incredibly knowledgeable in recovery and counseling. 
And I can remember when I was a young adult having conversations with her and just kind of thinking, this is the complete opposite of where my mom stood. Mm. My mom was very much, and it was the culture that I grew up in and the church that I grew up in, you know, was very much Jesus is your healer. You know, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can get over any problem that you have because Jesus is your strength. And so to have these two women in my life who were very contradictory of each other, but they were mother and daughter, it pulled me in two very different directions. Mm. But I also think that it very much paved the way for my future and through some struggles that I would go through. I don't think had it not been for my Nana, I don't think that I would have ever give celebrate, given celebrate recovery a second thought, Mm. you know, had I not known that she had devoted so many years of her life to recovery, even after, and my uncle has been a recovering addict for almost 30 years now, even after he turned his life around, she continued to attend meetings and continued to advocate for recovery. Um, had it not been for that, I probably would have fell into more of a mindset of my mom, Mm. you know? Um, and then having, when Chris and I went through some very difficult marriage, a very difficult marriage time, um, having Kevin, our old pastor at the time, tell me, you know what? I really think that you, you could benefit from counseling and pointed me in the direction of a Christian counselor who we, who we both know. And so having somebody from the church and then having my Nana, who was strong in her faith, kind of solidify that it's okay to go to counseling. It's okay to be in recovery. That does not negate the fact that you're a believer. You know, um, I think having those two instances kind of helped dilute yeah. those ideas of I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think one of the um, biggest issues and biggest maybe disconnects between uh, the church and what they perceive as therapy is that they think therapy is something that it's not. They think that therapy is supposed to be out there as the cure to whatever you're dealing with. But as we both gone through therapy in one way or another, Mm -hmm. therapy is really just essentially helping you express thoughts that you are struggling to express Mm -hmm. and talk things out that you have been either unable to or too stubborn to talk out uh, prior to this. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not curing you. It's people that are essentially trained to help you understand yourself a little bit better. Mm -hmm. To help you sort through the mess. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you're too close to it yourself. (laughs) And Jesus ain't talking out loud. So, <laughs> I mean, we got, we've got the Bible, and yes, we know what the Bible says, but the Bible isn't talking a specific, uh, to your specific story and your specific uh, situation with uh, your husband or with your past trauma in the way that will help you open up and express things that you have been burying down deep. Mm-hmm. Um that can be a great catalyst towards that. But sometimes you need somebody who can put all those pieces plainly before you and then let you put them together. Mm-hmm. And we're just not, we're just not built to do that on our own. 
Now, not everybody needs full out therapy for that. Uh, or maybe not everybody needs one-on-one -on -one therapy. You mentioned Al-Anon, um, but there, there's group therapy out there that, you know, I've tried it before. It wasn't for me, but it is for a lot of people. Situations where you get to sit around a room and talk with a bunch of people that are dealing with a very similar thing that you are. Mm -hmm. um, whether that be in an actual therapist setting or situations like Al-Anon, uh, where, you know, like, Al-Anon is a beautiful organization because it really is a, a bunch of people who have an alcoholic in their family who don't really know how to handle it, don't know how to you know always be, you know, positive or supportive or when they need to be, um, what they need to say, what they need to do, all that stuff. They don't know how to handle the situation. This helps them kind of figure it out, mm. not necessarily by giving them all the answers, but at least allowing them a place where they can safely talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a great reminder that you're not alone. Yeah. You know, which we always feel like we are. Yeah. Whenever you're in a deep time of struggle and despair, it's really easy for us to get in that mindset of nobody gets it. Nobody mm -hmm. understands. Nobody has ever felt the way that I'm feeling right now. Right. But when you're in a group therapy setting, it can be very positive to hear that other people are struggling in the same ways, that mm -hmm. you're not alone. So uh, with that, I guess just unless you have anything else to add, that's, that's essentially it. Don't stigmatize the idea of having, uh, you know, going to therapy. If you are struggling with something, you can't get past it. You can't talk about it. You don't feel safe talking about it or any of those reasons. It might be great to go to therapy. One of the main reasons, uh, one of the other main reasons that it's not always a great idea to rely on your pastor for something like this is because your pastor might be too close to you. Emotions and relationships and connections like that always kind of cloud our judgment on how we're going to help somebody because we want to protect them specifically. And sometimes that comes out inadvertently as protecting them from pain when, like we said yesterday, pain is sometimes the thing you need to go through in order to get to the other side and be better. And so a therapist is more objective. This person likely doesn't know you. Uh, because that's typically a, a requirement or at least doesn't know you well, um, and can be objective and can kind of see this, all the stuff that you lay out at face value. And now they will get to know you over time, but now their goal is just to help you figure out where you're at mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to protect you. They're trying to essentially let you be hurt. <laughs> Because that pain is healthy pain. Right. So if you are one of those people that have uh, thought about therapy but are worried about what your church or your pastor or your friends might say, um, ignore them. <laughs> or at least, us. Or at least ignore <laughs> that thought. Right. <laughs> and at least give it a try. So I'm going to give this illustration really quick before we do end. It, do it, you do know it. how, um, I, I don't know who it was, but. There was, I think, a marriage counselor who talked about women have spaghetti brains yeah, yeah, yeah. and men have waffle brains. It's a couple, brains. actually. It's a couple. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I think when you're going through grief or you're dealing with the effects of trauma, a lot of those feelings and emotions can feel like spaghetti. 
Yeah. They are all, all intermingled. Up. Yes, all tied together. And it's really hard to kind of sort through that and figure out, okay, I'm feeling this way because of this event. And I'm feeling this opposite way because of this other event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's difficult to sort through all the chaos. Mm-hmm. But when you go through counseling, you go through therapy, that's an outsider's perspective who's able to sit back and say, okay, I can see all of this mess and I'm going to sort it into these different sections for you so that you can begin to heal on this part of the waffle and then you can move on to healing through this part of the waffle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't think that there's any better way to explain what you feel internally when you're dealing with grief and trauma other than spaghetti. Honestly, I can see it in a complete flipped capacity too. Really? You can go in having too much of a waffle brain. Things are too separated. You have, well, I'm dealing with this, but I have no idea why. And way back over here in this other section, you've ah. got something that's happened in your past that you've never connected Not, to. Like, yep. Well, let me throw a spaghetti strand in there and show you uh-huh. how you got from here to there. Yeah. And see if that might be the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so some of us can go in a little bit too waffly and a little too spaghetti. <laughs> and a therapist can help you figure out which one you are and get a good medium, a good happy yep. medium. Just got a sore. <laughs> through and figure it out. <laughs> I like that. Crippling fear. Heart pounding, pulse racing, knees shaking, voice cracking, tears forming. Control seems unattainable, and the unknown fills your head with crippling fear. In 2017, two of my children and I were in a pretty terrifying car accident. The fact that we all walked away practically unharmed was nothing short of a miracle. Unharmed on the outside, at least. Four years later, and some of that crippling fear still creeps in from time to time. My oldest, who was in the front seat when the accident occurred, has just recently gone through driver's ed and earned his learner's permit. As I've watched him go through this process, I've been reminded just how deep unseen wounds can be and the effects fear can have over us. In times of deep, crippling fear, I often find myself clinging to the promise that Jesus came to bring peace. We hear it prophesied in Isaiah 9 as Isaiah is speaking to the tribe of Judah and tells us of a virgin birth and that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. But I think even greater than the words of Isaiah are the words we hear from Jesus himself. As Jesus is in his final days on earth, he takes time to offer hope to his disciples, telling them in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let us remember that promise is not just for the 12, but that promise is for anyone who follows Jesus. Anyone who gives their life to him can stand firm on the promise that even in the hardest of situations, filled with immeasurable fear, Jesus is our peace. Hey everyone, I'm Hector Mirai, 
and this is Faith and Fandom 180 on LTN Radio. So the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is dropping at the end of May, and we are once again getting Hayden Christensen returning to the role of Anakin slash Darth Vader. And, you know, I'm excited for that, honestly. Um, I know that he's had a rough couple decades after taking on that role, and, uh, man, honestly, very few people made it out of the prequel trilogy unscathed, and, uh, I'm excited that he's getting the chance to come back, not just to redeem himself, but also just to be able to say, hey, we recognize that you did a good job, but after, uh, Hayden Christensen played Anakin, Matt Lanter, uh, took on the role in Rebels and Clone Wars, and, Aside, uh, Ashley Exting, uh, literally their time together in Clone Wars and Rebels as Ahsoka and Anakin was some of the best of Star Wars. And in my personal opinion, Matt Lancer was the best version of Anakin we've had. Now, Hayden could have been very uh, restrictive in his opinion, and he could have said, you know what, I don't need to know what anyone else has done because I've played this before. But... Uh, he, in fact, rather than doing that, he actually recently binge-watched all of Rebels and all of Clone Wars to, uh, see what had been developed in the character, because he didn't come to just erase Matt Lanter, which I don't think he could. He came to actually just continue on with what he's done. And I just thought it was cool the way that he was humble enough to play off of that. And it reminded me of what we see in scripture because Jesus quoted a lot of the Old Testament. Now, Jesus could have been like, you know what? I don't need the Old Testament. I'm the New Testament. But that's not what he did. In fact, Jesus quoted at least 14 different books from the Old Testament during his three years of earthly ministry. But it reminds me of this verse in Matthew 5, 17. Where Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There is wisdom and truth to be found in the experiences of those who have walked this path before us. And we would do well to remember that and to actually learn from them. Remember to catch Faith and Fandom 180 every Wednesday morning on the Back Row Morning Show only on LTN Radio. And if you'd like to learn more about Faith and Fandom, head over to faithandfandom.org where you can learn about our Comic-Con ministry, podcasts, memes, apparel, and book series. You can even read new chapters before they make it to the next book. I'm Hector Mirai, and thank you for spending the last 180 seconds with me. to the Back Row Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. There's a lot going on in our Discord, backrowdiscord.com, where you get to chat after the show, share your own show ideas, keep up to date with our Twitch and YouTube, be a part of our radio shows, and also see the behind-the-scenes workings of Back Row Games, including Sunday School Answers. Again, go to backrowdiscord.com to join. This week, we're talking about mental health through the eyes of the MCU. So far, we focused on Moon Knight, WandaVision, Loki, and Black Widow. Today, we're going to focus on the blip. And first of all, spoiler alert, we will be talking about a lot of key story elements. 
to several MCU properties this week. Secondly, trigger warning this week uh, during these main segments, we're going to discuss some pretty difficult things that can be root causes for mental health struggles, grief, PTSD, etc. If you're currently struggling to the point where hearing uh, this stuff discussed could cause an issue, you might want to skip these topics. At the end of Infinity War, Thanos snapped his finger and half of existence disappeared. This caused mass panic and mass destruction. Billions of people mourning loss, billions depressed, billions facing an uncertain future. Think about oh. how, think about how disruptive COVID was. Yeah. 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 Like that drove so many people deeper into mental health struggles mm -hmm. and addictions and unfortunately <clears throat> suicides. Uh, it was it was such a big event and still being felt in some parts of the world, but you know this was would be even bigger than that. Imagine waking up and half the population being just gone. Yeah, almost every family having someone lost on the same day in the same moment. Like the world would crumble, and yeah. I feel like that's represented at the beginning of Endgame. You kind of see like this this pan over the city and like stadiums are uh -huh. toppled, buildings, yeah. are, you know, lights are out, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and at the beginning of Endgame, in fact, right after that pan that I'm just talking about, we see Captain America leading a support group for people who have been affected. And they are talking about doing normal things and taking life one day at a time. One moment at a time. Yeah. It's not necessarily therapy. Uh, it's not necessarily something like Al-Anon or anything. It's, it's just, this sucks. Life is hard. I need uh, people around me to make sure I don't fall into my own pit. Mm -hmm. Okay. The key thing here is accountability and groups. In Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we see two guys helping each other, protecting each other from making mistakes in different areas of their life, whether it be superhero or not. Um, we've, we've mentioned it several times this week, and of course, a billion times uh, over the course of our show. We're both uh, very huge fans, and uh, 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 currently, Mo is, is a, a, a main leader of a Celebrate Recovery program. And Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step program and is focused on addiction a lot, but it is so, it's presented in such a broad way that even people that are just struggling with anger or, or uh, mental health issues also feel welcome and feel heard mm -hmm. and feel, feel uh, blessed by having a a group of people who are all going through similar things, if not the same things. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the big things with tw with 12 step programs is that by a certain level, you need to have a sponsor and or an accountability partner or team. And the reason why is exactly what you might think to make sure you're doing okay and to make sure you're keeping up with progress, like that you're not just falling back into old bad habits or old ways or old ways of thinking, but that you're continuing to grow and continuing to move forward, even if it's just, you know, micro progress, you know, 
little by little, as long as it's still forward motion. That's all that we're going for. We have a hard time wanting accountability, accepting accountability. And the problem with accountability is that unless you're asking for it, you can't get it. Mm. Like nobody can come along and say, I'm going to keep you accountable. If you don't want them to keep you accountable, you won't let them keep you accountable. People become professional liars all the time in this world. And uh, it's simply because they're going to hide the issue that they're having. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's easier than others. Uh, it's h- harder sometimes to hide like maybe drug addictions or things of that nature, alcohol addictions. But sometimes it's not. We hear plenty of stories that are people that are functioning alcoholics and or uh, drug users that are able to uh, keep their drug use isolated away from the rest of their life. Like they have the weekend off and they'll, mm. you know, do it early on a Saturday. So they'll be good to go on a Monday, mm. you know, that kind of thing. People can get really good at hiding these issues. Um, and I think it's even more important with mental health issues because those are the issues that will, <sighs> I think those are the easiest to hide because there are no often no outward signs and we can be we can be expert actors Mm. at putting on a smile saying everything is fine everything's good I'm good I'm doing fine I'm doing great and you can wear that mask for days for weeks for months Uh, we see it um, I mean uh, The first person that pops in my head is Robin Williams. Yes. Robin Williams, one of the, like, nicest guys, everybody in Hollywood says, one of the nicest guys on the planet, one of the most genuine, one of the most caring, one of the funniest people in existence all time. Mm Mm-hmm. And practically nobody knew he was struggling with his mental health. Mm Mm-hmm. Until... He took his own life. Mm -hmm. I think that's the case for almost every suicide situation is we see only what they allow us to see. Mm -hmm. And so in that instance, there's really nothing we can do. Everybody, you know, when, when, when someone takes their life, um, and, and I'm, I'm speaking as someone who contemplated it a lot and got within, inches of attempting suicide when I was a teenager. There are a lot of people who take it upon themselves the, uh, the guilt when someone takes their own life. Mm-hmm. Just me telling my mom that I felt that way. My mom thought it's, and still to this day thinks that, you know, that was her fault. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Some of, you know, my relationship with her might have been part that led to my mental health issues then, Mm -hmm. but it's not her fault that I wanted to take my life. Yeah. I didn't tell her that I was struggling. I didn't tell her that I was feeling bad. Nobody can force you to be accountable to this kind of healing because it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Nobody can truly know what you're dealing with if you're unwilling to share it. And that's, that goes along with what you said the other day is, you know, a lot of us feel 
isolated, feel mm-hmm. like we're the only ones going through this. Mm-hmm. And truly, most of us go through something like this at least once in our lives, if not multiple times. Maybe not all the way up to the point of considering suicide, but definitely to the point where we're like, gosh, I wish I wasn't here anymore. Mm-hmm. I wish I could just pack up everything and just drive to the other side of the country and start over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of us have those feelings at some point. Have you ever dealt with anything like that? I'm sure I've asked you this in the past before, but have you ever dealt with those kind of feelings, whether they be suicidal or just, I got to get the heck out of here? Oh yeah. For forever. Yeah. Um, I think my internal battle leans a little bit more towards the, why am I trying? Mm. Why am I continuing to put myself through this? You know, why it's not, nobody else cares. Nobody else sees the pain that I'm dealing with, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Things would be much better if I just weren't a part of it. Yeah. And so that is kind of where I can't say that I've struggled with thoughts of suicide, but I have struggled with thoughts of things would be better if I weren't around. Mm. Like I remember when I was a teenager, very, you know, very similar mindset of that. I was, I was the kid that would like, we'd be here. I mean, it's happened in this church that we're recording in right now. We would be having a youth event or something and everybody would be fun. I would feel like I'm being left out, like people don't care that I'm here. Mm -hmm. And so I would like leave and I would go sit somewhere by myself in the church and then time how long it took for someone to notice I wasn't there. Yeah. And it was always a really long time Mm -hmm. and that didn't do anything but make me feel 10 times worse than I would have. Yeah. And in reality... The, the issue wasn't that people were ignoring me. It's that I was too afraid to get involved. I was too afraid to have fun. I was too afraid to put myself out there because I already thought so little of myself mm-hmm. that I would already be standing in the back and standing in the shadows and, right. you know, being the wallflower and mm-hmm. not having any fun. And I would have moments, a lot of moments where I would bust out of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of moments where sometimes I'd be the life of the party. It's happened a couple times. In fact, there's a, there's a story that my wife often brings up of one instance where we had a, um, I don't remember if it was an engagement party. It was some, some sort of celebration Gathering. for our friends. <laughs> and uh, they did the, they played the Gangnam style thing. And I got up there and I was the goofiest, you know, flailing about trying to do my, that dance the best I can, making everybody laugh. And my wife was like, I can't, I can't believe you could do that. I, I never have the ability to get up and do that. You know, that's, you know, how are you not embarrassed by stuff like that? And like everyone admired me, I guess, mm-hmm. for being able to get up and just, just free wheel, have fun. Yeah. What they didn't know is that at that time, that was one of the darkest times of my life. Mm. Some of the worst stuff was happening and I could not control it and I could not stop it from happening. Mm. And all I could do was put on that mask and try and hide it Mm -hmm. because I thought if I wasn't smiling, if I wasn't cracking jokes, if I wasn't being the life of the party, then people would know something was up Mm -hmm. and I was desperate for nobody to know what was up. Yeah. And I... I don't feel like I do that much anymore. Gosh, I want to start crying just now thinking about how that felt. 
Um, I don't think I do that much anymore. But I did it for so long that while I can say that, thankfully, after that first time when I was a teenager, um, God has kept me from ever having thoughts of suicide again. There have been many times, uh, even as an adult, that uh, I've had to sit there and really convince myself again that, you know, not everybody hates me, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Or like my, for, you know, we, (laughs) we cracked cracked the joke uh, on Monday. I don't even know if it was on the show, but we cracked a joke in the Monday show about, you know, how. You know, my wife can't leave me now. You know, mm-hmm. I got her, I got her stuck. I got, you know, I got three kids now. She ain't going nowhere. She doesn't believe in divorce. She's a good Christian, you know, that kind of thing. But literally for a, most of my, at least half of my, I mean, we've been married for a long time now. So about half of my marriage now, but that first half of my marriage, I was convinced, convinced that either this was some sort of elaborate prank which wasn't as realistic <laughs> or that danger really would just wake up one day and say, uh, I could do so much better and be gone. And of course that's not her. That's not how she would ever act. But I thought so little of myself that I just convinced myself that there's no way this is lasting. There's no way she's going to put up with me for the rest of my life. And you know, that completely ignored the fact that Deidre had similar thoughts. You know, you know, we 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 all feel inadequate. Oh yeah, <laughs> but we all convince ourselves that everybody else has it together, and we're the only ones messed up because all of us are so good at wearing masks. All of us are so good at putting that denial face forward and convincing everybody that we're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. It's a hard, hard situation. So again, again, all that to say, if you want to get better, you need accountability. And if you want accountability, you have to be the one to ask for it. You have to find somebody and tell them what you're struggling with and ask them to be an ear for you. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be there to like fix you. That's not the role. They don't need to even be there to give you advice per se. But to have someone that you can be open and honest with about everything that you can trust, that's not going to, you know, gossip about you or anything like that, to have someone there, it can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And you have to, honestly, you have to be willing to be fully real Mm -hmm. as much as you are able to be real in that moment, because here's the thing with healing. It comes in waves and it comes in stages. And the chances are that you're going to find yourself in a place where you feel fully healed from whatever trauma or issue it is that you're working through currently. And before you know it, another issue is probably going to arise that you're going to also have to heal and work through. But as far as you can be honest currently where you are, you need to be just as honest with your accountability team. Yeah. It's not going to do you any good if you kind of sugarcoat the things that you're you're struggling with. If you diminish the areas in your life that you're struggling. I think okay, I will never forget when you posted the video about not drinking sodas. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. if anybody saw you with a soda in your hand, you gave us the permission yeah. to slap it out of your hand. You were very specific with your struggle. Your struggle at that moment and at that time was sodas, yeah. drinking sodas. Okay. Full-fledged sodas, mostly like Mountain Dew, Code Red Mountain Dew. I could pound a liter of that every three hours. You didn't tell us <laughs> that every time you we see you having candy or we see you right. having, you know, whatever. It right. was nothing else. It was sodas. This is my struggle. And then you were very clear with what we could do. Mm-hmm. How we could hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. Smack it out of my hand. <laughs> I will never forget that. And to me, that's just a perfect illustration of what accountability looks like. Mm-hmm. Be honest with where you're struggling, what you're struggling with, and then set that boundary and tell your accountability team, this is what I need for you to do. This is how I am expecting you to hold me accountable. I also remember that you were desperate to actually be the one to slap something. I really my hand. was. And when I had a, a, a thing of tea from, <laughs> I think... <laughs> I don't remember where Sonic it or like, something. Yeah, it yeah. looked like a it looked like a soda. You were, your hand was right there, ready to go. I'm like, it's tea, it's tea, it's tea, it's tea, it's tea. Look, it's tea. Open it up, it's tea. Chilling. Yeah. <laughs> Never got to slap a soda out of your hand. But at the same time, it like it had a, it worked in two ways because mm. it set up your accountability team mm. for success, but it also set you up for success because you knew these people are aware Mm -hmm. and they're watching. And so it kind of set a standard for you. You didn't want for us to have to slap the drink out of your hand, you know, but I knew if people would be on the lookout for it, I couldn't just hide it anymore. I couldn't just do whatever I wanted, hide the fact that I needed to get that under control. Yeah. And because of that, like I I drink diet sodas occasionally, but not like, not like I was drinking it. Like I was drinking normal full sugar soda, like water yeah, for so much of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, I have not had a full sugar soda since then. Yeah. Um, and I remember it was really a struggle for me because I remember uh, the first time I attempted this was in um, when we were living in Albuquerque. And I had made it like a year without drinking um, a soda. And then Sonic was giving away like free mini root beer floats and Deja really wanted to go. Mm. I'm like, okay, the mini ones, it's like in a cup, like not a drink cup. It's yeah. like in a little, like a, yeah. like a dipping cup almost. Right. So like, there's barely any soda in that. And I'm like, okay, it's just, I mean, it's a dessert. Like mm-hmm. it's not really a soda. And so I had that and that opened the floodgates and yeah. I had nonstop full sugar sodas for another like two years until I made this decree. Yeah. <laughs> and so. So it really did help. Accountability really did help. And that's a silly, I mean, it's a silly thing, you know, sodas. It's not like, it's not a, one of the bigger issues in life. But when it's an addiction, an addiction's an addiction. An addiction Absolutely. works like an addiction. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, that's how I was getting my dopamine and my sugar rush. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to get it under control. And I did. Yeah. Because I had that accountability in place. Like, I'm not saying I'm anything special. It's just that I realized that the only way to get past that was to have accountability. And that's worked the same with, uh, you know, every other addiction that I've had is when I'm open about it, I'm more successful. Yeah. 
And so my current addiction, the current only biggest addiction I've had my whole life is, you know, overeating and stuff like that. And I was really open about it in 2019 when I, you know, started an actual diet plan, started working. I did a a weekly check-in and all this kind of stuff, and it kept me accountable. And then COVID hit and everything went to garbage and I retreated back into food and stayed there and have not been able to do anything about it since until uh, just recently I've been seeing some results and that's because I started doing updates again now on TikTok. Uh, I try and do a thing every week updating my progress, good or bad, but either way I have the, that that first TikTok that I posted on it that uh, I'm gonna do at this one every every week and, and showcase my progress. That first one went semi-viral, and I had like 200 people that I do not know follow me to cheer me on about it. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing. That's really cool, and that was very inspiring. I'm like, okay, well, I'm in this now. Yeah. They're gonna be tagging me if I don't do this. Exactly. So I better do it. Yep. Um. So I mean, it's it's. It's, it doesn't, it might not come to your mind as something that you need. And you might think that whatever you're dealing with or whatever mental health struggle you're having, you don't really need someone keeping you accountable about it, especially if it's just mental health. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're struggling with depression or something, you're not thinking that this is an addiction. You're not thinking that you need to, you know, have somebody there to, you know, check all your dresser drawers or whatever to make sure you're not hiding some, you know cocaine somewhere, something like that. But really that mental health stuff is just as important to have accountability for because you need to make sure you're not letting yourself just fall back into denial, fall back into backwards thinking, fall back into self, uh, self image issues, uh, or ideas of self harm. I mean, there's a reason why the suicide hotline is such a big deal and is pushed all the time because studies have shown when someone calls that number, it's like 99 out of a hundred times they're talked out of it mm. because even though the people on the other line are strangers, those strangers immediately connect with you and immediately care about you. And even having just a random stranger on the phone express that they care about you is enough to help you realize that if that stranger can care about you, there's got to be people in your life that care about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So don't run from the idea of accountability. Uh, it's probably one of the best tools you can have. Absolutely. Uh, to everyone out there who is going to step into the role of being someone's accountability, please, please offer grace. Because there will come a time when they fall short. Mm-hmm. And it is not going to do any good to belittle or point fingers or, um, you know, say that you saw this coming or whatever, whatever. Show grace. Mm -hmm. And remember that we're all human. We're all flawed. We're all going to fall short at some point or another. And also realize how much of an honor it is to be asked to be in this position in someone's life. 
because this is no small deal. If you agree to become somebody's accountability partner, odds are you're going to know more about this person than anybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that means they are trusting you with their life. So it's also not something to be entered into lightly, but understand what you're getting yourself into and realize what a ministry it is. Yeah. And how this is your opportunity to be Jesus to somebody. Mm-hmm. It truly is an honor. I have had the honor to be a sponsor and accountability partner to quite a few men uh, who've dealt with the same struggles that I've dealt with in the past. And it has always been a blessing both ways. Mm. Anything else? I don't think so. Drive that one into the ground there. This week in Nerd History, you read the Bible, Brett. This is the beginning of a famous scene from Pulp Fiction, which premiered on May 12, 1994 at Cannes Film Festival. While this certainly isn't a movie for the whole family, it has had a cult following for decades, and its references can be found in all kinds of nerdy shows, such as The Simpsons or Community, with a classic episode spoofing this movie and My Dinner with Andre in the same 22 minutes. In this scene, Jules, played by Samuel L. Jackson, is ramping up to shoot this Brett character, but before he does that, he quotes a Bible verse he's memorized. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Quite expertly delivered. There's just one problem. That verse doesn't exactly exist. The first tip-off is that it is entirely too long to be a single verse, but the majority of it was completely fabricated to sound biblical, and the rest was misquoted. However, looking at the actual Old Testament, Ezekiel 25:17 actually says, I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. And that's kind of similar to the ending of the verse in the movie, but the verses before that are entirely different, as it's the Lord saying to the Philistines that they are about to be punished for taking revenge and malice in their hearts because they sought to destroy Judah. So Tarantino took a bit of a dramatic license in the movie. Still, I'd buy an audio Bible with Sam Jackson reading it cover to cover. Real fast. Take my money. I'm Radio Matt. See you next time for more Nerd History. Backroom Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And Matt and I have been doing this for years, quickly approaching our so 500th morning show. You can catch roughly the last 150 episodes in the podcast feed, but you can do a deeper dive into our archives and catch nearly every single episode ever. 
in our Discord. Join us at backrowdiscord.com and visit our podcast archives channel. This week, we're talking about mental health through the eyes of the MCU. So far, we've discussed Moon Knight, WandaVision, Loki, and Black Widow, and The Blip. And first of all, spoiler alert, we will be talking about a lot of key story elements to several MCU properties this week. Secondly, trigger warning. Uh, this week, during these main segments, we have uh, discussed and will continue today some pretty difficult things that can be root causes for mental health struggles, grief, PTSD, etc. If you currently struggle to the point where hearing these things discussed could cause an issue, you might want to skip these topics. Uh. So for our final discussion, we want to take uh, take to the latest Spider-Man movie, No Way Home, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh-huh. But in it, uh, we see, spoiler alert, of course, as we've been giving you throughout Hold the on. entire week. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. We see the death of Aunt May. And subsequently, we see all three Spider-Men showcase their grief over losing their Uncle Ben, uh, or Andrew Garfield losing, uh, or Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, rather, Mm -hmm. losing Gwen Stacy. Uh, And you can see, especially with the latter, how it affected him. Grief is a powerful emotion and one that is hard to shake, even for believers, when we know someone we lost is in heaven and we're going to see them again. Today... We're going to talk about grief with our friends from Discord. We've got KY and Brother Mod. How are you two doing? Good evening. Great. Good morning. What, I don't even know what time it is. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> keep up the illusion, Brother Mod. Uh, <laughs> got to keep them thinking. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> Good morning. It's early in the morning right now. Good day. Across all Good. of America. Good appropriate time of day to you. Yes, there we go. Beautiful. <laughs> So, first of all, what y'all think about Spider-Man No Way Home? I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's the best thing that uh, Marvel has done. It was, I mean, dang good. Mo, did you like the movie? I loved it. Yeah. So loved good. it. Mm-hmm. So, what about, let's, let's specifically talk about that scene on the rooftop where mm-hmm. they're trying to, uh, the, two, the two visiting Spider-Men are trying to... Uh, comfort, essentially, and, and connect with through this kind of shared grief and idea of grief with uh, and uh, 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 Tom Holland Spider Man. What did y'all think about that scene? How that was pulled off? The emotion of it, all of it. To connect with it. Go. Is anybody there? Yes. <laughs> yes. No. Particularly um, Andrew Garfield. For yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like his his situation where he's talking about how as time went on, he let it make him bitter. Like oh. that that was something that whew, so 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 easy to do. Mm-hmm. So easy to do. And difficult to get out of once you start going down that road. Mm-hmm. And then of course we saw um a little bit of that payoff a little bit kind of a, a redemption from that with him being able to save um, MJ during the big, you know, finale. Like that was a very touching moment where you could tell, you know, where they, they, they did that beautifully where it's him uh, 
catching her from falling, saving her life, asking while crying, are you okay? Hmm. And then her saying, are you, are you okay? (laughs) But like they did it so well, like that was the scene that made me want to cry up and I'm glad it didn't go longer because I would have cried every time I've watched it. Um, but I guess what y'all are really here for, because that's just the, the leaping off point. We're looking through different ways that these kind of things are handled in MCU, but only briefly. So this week, we've really just used that as a, as a stepping stone towards a broader conversation on how we handle grief. So as I have that set up, it is often hard for us, uh, even as believers, to uh, deal with those emotions. <laughs> And, you know, every every uh, funeral I've been to, which have been too many lately, you know, the, the pastor always kind of says the same things. You know, we 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 mourn, but we don't mourn without hope. Uh, and while in the long run, that's a comforting thing in the moment, it doesn't feel that way, at least to me uh, in the moment, I want to be miserable. Because I feel like if I'm if I'm not miserable in this moment, then that means I I don't miss them enough, or I don't know. It sounds ridiculous to even say out loud, but like it's 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 a hard emotion to really wrap your head around because it's like your whole brain is going full force <laughs> to experience that emotion. Sure. Am I crazy? What, what, what do y'all no. what do y'all have to say? No. Like uh, there was a sermon that I heard. Uh, years and years ago now, um, where the pastor was preaching on the on the topic of grief specifically in in the wake of a, a funeral, um, and it was a it was a tragic and sudden loss that nobody expected, um, and uh, he brought up, um, "Oh, death, where is thy sting?" Mm. Mm. And then he stopped and he paused for a moment and he said here the sting is right here right now Mm. it Mm. doesn't stay forever and it won't be with us forever and we have hope to look forward to you know that that being healed yeah in eternity but the sting is here and now Uh, it's not that it no longer exists it's just temporal and temporary Uh, but that doesn't make it any less sharp Right. Yeah, I've always interpreted that verse as meaning the person who has passed on is not really feeling the sting of death because you're you're not really going to death, you're going to eternal life. And so yeah, after seeing that from, you know, those who were left behind situation, like yeah, absolutely. I get that totally. Um we lost uh, my mother-in-law. Yeah, and I've said it a billion times on the show since then, but we lost my mother-in-law last September. And there's still not a not a week that has gone by where uh me and my wife both haven't at least broken down one time over it. Yeah. Like it's it's a it's a heavy thing. And there's like uh you know, I mentioned I have a, a Bible study that I'm running at my church right now. And we talked about this also uh, this past week. And there's like, I realized there's five of us in there that in the last three years or so have lost uh, a parent. And 
none of us are, are any better <laughs> right now than we were, mm-hmm. you know, a, a year or two ago when it happened. Like, you know, we're better than the week of, we're better than, you know, the immediate hit. But since then, the way we've been from, you know, month two onward has remained the same. Yeah. And I've never really had to, you know, deal with this since before. Like, I had my father die uh, a few years ago, uh, right before COVID, actually. So a little bit before COVID, he got to miss that, thank goodness. And then my mother-in-law. And these two things... Like I, I, I cried about my dad last night uh, because I had, I had written a song for him and it and I happened to hear it uh, mm-hmm. last night and or run across it rather and like it 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 hurts a lot and it's hard not to at least for me you know feel some of those bitter emotions like not necessarily against God not not like I'm like. Uh, you know, God, how could you have taken them or let this happen kind of thing? Just mad that it happened at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Angry at the absence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you, you, Mo, have some experiences with this, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of sad because I feel like the last several years have been our family has been hit with a lot of death mm-hmm. and I mean it started with my mother-in-law and um, then my father-in-law passed away and my husband's grandmother passed away my grandmother passed away Chris's closest uncle passed as passed away um, and then um, one of Chris's best friends dad's also passed away and mm. these were all people that were very close to our family. And, you know, just within what, four years time, five years time, all of the death piled up on top of each other. It, it, that's what it feels like. It feels like it just continually piles up and that, that bitterness that you feel that why does death even have to be, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it only compiles. The, the more frequent that it happens. So, yeah, it's difficult. Okay, well, my dear, are you doing okay? Yep, I'm just telling my husband that he's not allowed to talk to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we want to hear some of your thoughts, if that's all right. Oh, gosh, I have to go first. Okay. Well, we've all been um, talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man experience has always kind of connected with me because it was it it had shock and when when Gwen fell I think we all kind of expected him to catch her yeah and and we all had that same horrified moment just that split second of knowing her head actually touched the ground and um and just that just that split second where, where we even questioned, is that what I actually saw? And, and so his face in the current movie, in the No Way Home movie, and just the, the horror that went across his face was 
just really resonated. Um, <laughs> dang it. So, okay. So I, I'm talking about, um, our experiences losing babies. Mm. <laughs> so this is a good story as a redemption story. So it just doesn't start out that way. Um, so in 2012, um, we got pregnant and, um, unlike our first two, it was not premeditated. Um, and we know how it happened. So, you know, there you go. But, um, <laughs> so, but with the first two, we had, we had been married six years before we decided, you know, I think we really just, you know, we want to have a baby and, um, you know, we, we knew how it happened. So it worked out. And so we, we were, we were able to get pregnant right away. And we know that we're very fortunate in that respect. And, um, and then again, with our second born, you know, we we're like, oh, you know, really feeling that baby fever, you know, got pregnant right away again. And, um, so, but this time we weren't really trying, we, we had a three-year-old and a six-year-old. We, it wasn't on our radar at all and whoops, and we got pregnant. And so I'd never, I, I hadn't, I didn't really experience the same type of pregnancy joy that I had in the others. And that was on me. And I know that God used this. Uh, experience. I'm a big Romans 828 person. Uh, you know, God uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He does not tempt us. He does not, you know, visit these horrific things on us, but he can use them. And so um, I really had a stink attitude um, at that point. I was just like, what am I going to do? I have, t you know, a toddler and a preschool or what am I going to do? And, um, and so I was about... I think, uh, 16 weeks along and, or eight, eight, I'm sorry, 18 weeks. And I was like, you know, this is weird. I feel like I've been feeling kicks, but I don't feel kicks anymore. And I called the office and, and the office was like, oh, well, you shouldn't really be feeling anything yet. It's too early, but you can come in for a stress test if you want. And I did. And there was no heartbeat. And I had gone by myself. I had not expected in a million years that I was right. Um, and that was, that was it. And I remember, um, I remember just sitting in the parking lot, uh, of the office and just telling Charlie, I was like, I can't drive home yet. I'm just going to sit here until I can drive home. And that was, um, when hurricane, is it Sandy that hit, uh, New York, New Jersey? Um, I think so. Yeah. Uh, that was a uh, super storm. Yeah. 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 And Amanda Carroll was on Caleb and I had put Caleb on cause I really just didn't even know what to do at this point. And this is before I could have music on my phone. So, um, I had Caleb on and she was talking about, um, hurricane Sandy and just about, um, when life hits you like a hurricane <laughs> and, mm. and every song I heard on Caleb from that point forward, I was like, I feel like the lyrics are real now and I get it. And it's not just, I'm not just singing it. I'm not just, mm -hmm. you know, hearing these things. And isn't this awesome? It was it, every single line became deeply personal. And like the Lord was speaking to me and, um, it just, so that, that was just, it was, it kind of transformed the way that I hear music. And, um, so eventually I was able to drive home <laughs> and I, we were still in denial and, you know, went and got a second set of ultrasounds and at a different place entirely. And, you know, she was still, her heart had stopped. Um, we found out later, um, she had down syndrome and, um, having a weak heart is a, uh, one common, mm -hmm. um, side effect of, 
having Down syndrome. And so um, she had stopped growing around 15 or 16 weeks, and then her heart stopped um, at 18. But she was not born until 20 weeks. So a couple for a couple of weeks, I still had to carry her. Um, walking around looking pregnant with my two boys and well-meaning people. Um, you know, oh, do you hope it's a girl? Yes, it is a girl. Um, are you excited? Yes. You know, and, you know, what are you going to do in the grocery store? And little old ladies, you know, want to talk to you about that. And, of course, then my children would pipe up and, oh, no, our sister's dead. You know, we have oh, a sister. She's man. dead. And, you know, that's – I'd never, I'd never thought about, you know, oh, do you hope it's a girl being, you know, something that was potentially – you know, offensive until that happened to me. And now I'm like, wow, that's really none of my business to comment on. But um, just spending those those couple of weeks um, looking pregnant, feeling pregnant and knowing that she was already gone um, was a very. Uh, I don't really know how to describe that, but it was an experience. Um, I would assume traumatizing. So all, <laughs> I'm traumatized just thinking about it. My goodness. <laughs> So, um, so anytime we have a baby, when you get that little, you know, six or eight week ultrasound, when they look like a blob, we pick something to call them in the womb. So we don't spoil names. And of course we don't know the gender and the boys had gone with us to her ultrasound and they had decided she looked like a pickle. So we had always been calling her pickle, um, in the womb before we knew she was a girl. And so when we went in to the hospital for me to be induced so that she could be born, um, uh, after she was born, the nurse came in and um, she just had this weird look on her face. And she said, um, you guys called her pickle, right? And we were like, yeah. She said, um, do you know that today was National Pickle Day? And we were just like, wow, God, like he just he sees us like he just he just he I, I really just felt like it was the Lord saying, like, I see you and mm -hmm. this will always be her day. And um, when she was born, we were just so excited to see her. And we have a picture of that. It's on our piano um, of Charlie and me holding her and seeing her for the first time. And um, so but those those dates kind of be, started becoming traumatic for me. Um seeing, uh, you know, when, when we got pregnant and I started to dread in any date associated with anything coming along with her, um, gestation and getting the different ultrasounds and things. And then, um, a year later we found out we were pregnant again we had gotten pregnant somehow on the exact same day, had the exact same due date. Um, again, completely by accident. Uh, and, um, then we lost that baby also. And um, that was really hard. And so I just, uh, when it came time for the date around the, um, when we found out that we had lost her, um, which was just a couple of days after Charlie's birthday, um, I just, I, I just wanted to be sick and I wouldn't even look at the calendar. It's just, my body would just know. And I would just have this sense of dread and, and just trauma. And, um, so every time those dates would come around, it would just be just horrible experience. And I would look at the calendar and realize what it was. And then when her birthday came and went, um, I, I lost about a month. I don't even remember, um, that month and again, looked back and said, wow, that was when she would have been born. Um, so then fast forward a couple of years and we were just, um, 
it wasn't even we, we were super careful after that just like no I just can't do this right now and um we drove out to visit my grandma and family in New Mexico and um see them and on the way back um I realized I was pregnant I had not even we it just it just happened and uh ended up having the same due date again um so July 4th wow. is a great holiday apparently um and um uh, so we uh, we found out we were pregnant again, same due date, and I was just in I was in terror all the time. Um, I wanted to be pregnant. I was excited about being pregnant. We wanted this baby, and I was just horrified with every new day. I was just scared, and I had a lot of praying and a lot of listening to music. I had to cull all of my music, things I'd loved for years, loved singing for years um, musically, but the lyrics, I could not take it. Mm-hmm. And I had to really guard what I allowed in my space. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we found out that um, the baby was healthy, and every time one of my dreaded dates came around god redeemed it with something lovely with this new strong healthy pregnancy and um those dates did not hold any more trauma for me and um we had a spectacular home birth uh within two days of when she would have had her birthday and so now all of those dates are associated with our youngest and um he is just he is such a source of joy just like since he was a baby everywhere he goes he spreads it and i just know that god has just used him and used his life and spoken through him to redeem all of these things that were traumatic and it's not i don't put it on my youngest but i just um I just receive it as some of God's faithfulness to us and um, just to change uh, my view um, of uh, having children with um, disabilities, having um, pregnancy loss, having my kids be affected by that because they still talk about their sister and they still count her when they are, you know, counting how many people are in our family. They say, are we supposed to count Violet when they ask? And I'm like, no, just living kids. And and so they're going to grow up to be men and husbands who are tender to miscarriage and infant loss. And I am just so grateful that God can use these experiences to shape my kids for goodness and for health. And, um, you know, I just and I'm Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just, I feel redeemed. I feel, I don't, I'm not glad it happened, but I am glad I serve a God who can use anything to create a victory story. And, um, even if we hadn't had our youngest who is a delight and is obsessed with Mo and (laughs) Matt too, but really Mo is his favorite person in the whole world. (laughs) And, and, and brother Maude, actually, since he's on this call too, he's, uh, he's his buddy and um so he just he loves all the ltn people he is the biggest fan and um i'm just um i don't know that he ever would have existed if we had if we had had 
all of those children. I don't know what God's plan would have been. Um, I just know that I'm grateful for the ones that I got to keep. And I'm really, really grateful that we get to see her one day. Um, and she, um, she actually um, went in, uh, went to heaven the same year that both of my grandpas did. And so um, they're just, and my, actually one of my grandmas also. So they're, um, they all kind of arrived around the same time and um, they're not lonely. So yeah. So don't let me go first next time. <laughs> KY. KY, thank you so much for sharing that. It, it, mm -hmm. it's, it means a lot that you're willing uh, first of all, to share that with us on the show, but, um, you mean a lot to us too. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that you, you've shown, uh, perfectly here. One of the things that I wanted to, uh, be a lesson to take away from this. And that is, you know, our, our grief isn't always something that, or probably, um, I would assume, Pretty much never something that we can just one day be free of. We can't just get rid of it. But that doesn't mean that we can't surrender it to God to give it a purpose. And yeah. I think that in, in, in that you've shown that exactly is that you, you have surrendered that, that grief, that pain and asked God to use it for his glory. And he has redeemed that moment. And I think that the the best way to handle grief uh, from a human perspective is to keep that memory alive, just like you're doing. Um, you know, I talked about it over Christmas that one of the ways that uh, my wife and and uh, her sister are going to keep my mother-in-law's uh, memory alive is continuing to do the Christmas cookie tradition that they've been doing for the last decade or so. And uh, we even printed out little stickers that say Grandma Tina's Christmas cookies, you know, <laughs> on them for, to put on all the boxes. And uh, like it's it helps. <laughs> it's not helping us, you know, forget the fact that we're sad that she's gone, but it is helping us remember why we loved her in the first place and why mm -hmm. it was so important for her to be here uh, for the time that we had her and how grateful we are for that time. Yeah. Um. I feel like um, Violet, we named her Violet, um, which is, again, the irony. We went in with a couple of different names and didn't want to pick one until we saw her. And as soon as we saw her, we both agreed she was Violet. And um, ironically, from the series of Unfortunate Events, Violet Baudelaire, which was not in the, intended that way. It was just one of the names and it, it fit her perfectly. And uh, every year when I post about her and I post her pictures and her little fingers and her little toes and her little elbows, um, I feel like she is like an ambassador for the unborn mm. at this point and that people can see the humanity in a 15 week old baby um, that's still in utero and just see all her bits and see how she is loved and see um, and just kind of feel like, yeah, this is a person and um, that she's kind of a, like you said, her life served a purpose. Right. Um, even though we didn't get to see her until that, you know, that earthly life was over, she still served a purpose and continues to. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to throw in here. I saw a quote several years ago that said, 
Grief is like throwing confetti or glitter into a room. You can clean it up. You can vacuum it. But eventually, you're going to find the remnants of that glitter Mm -hmm. or that confetti. All of a sudden, Mm -hmm. it's just going to show up. And I thought I cleaned that up. I thought I got rid of that, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, As a church janitor, I'm well aware of the problems (laughs) with with glitter. Yeah. Um, But it, it is so true. You know, regardless of how much time passes, grief never really goes away. Yeah. It changes and it it looks different and it feels different, but there will be times when all of a sudden it hits you and it feels fresh. And that's just how it is. Natural. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brother Maude, do you have any, uh, anything you want to add to our discussion here? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not coming from a place of having lost any parents yet or particularly close loved ones um i haven't gone through any of that kind of loss or separation yet but um there are two things that kind of spring to mind uh about grief um that i think could be illustrated well in that rooftop scene from uh, no way home. Okay. Uh, the first is the idea that um, uh, the first two Peter Parkers that we uh, as a society were introduced to went through their losses alone. Mm. Um, when Toby Maguire's Peter Parker lost his uncle. There wasn't anybody there to talk to. Yeah. To help him process. All he all he had was his anger and to go after the man who he blamed. Mm. Um when Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker lost Gwen, it was just him there holding holding her body. Um and he didn't he didn't even have the time like the luxury of time to, mm-hmm. to process it yeah. or to do anything with it. He just had to, he just had to leave. Yeah. Um, Tom Holland's Peter Parker started that way. Right. Um, he had to, he had to leave his aunt behind broken in the rubble while being fired upon and he fled to a rooftop to drown in his solitude and despair. Um, I think that's probably the most human and relatable thing that I have ever seen out of the MCU Hmm. Um, is him sitting on that rooftop just broken and breathless. But the thing that he had that the others didn't were Ned and MJ. Mm. And they didn't do anything except just crush into him and hold him. And it reminded me of 
how Job's friends first responded uh, to Job's tremendous losses. And that's the type of response I always want mine to be. Um, whenever anybody is grieving. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that even though um, all those people came around Tom Holland's Peter Parker the way they did and he had people who loved him who were supporting him he had people who had been through it um, who could meet him where he was and explain their story and how how they dealt with the grief there is still a part of grief that is always going to be private and personal mm-hmm. and there's an aspect of it where it isolates um, and there's no real way around that um, and it is like you said, it doesn't it doesn't really ever go away. The loss becomes a part of you. And sometimes one of the most one of the most painful things about grief is when you when you don't feel it and you feel like you should. Mm-hmm. And the guilt and the guilt that comes in afterward. Mm. Um But that's just one of the things that I thought that uh, that was just incredible in that scene is in just such a short span of time, they showed just how we should be treating one another. Yeah. A lot of dealing with any kind of grief. A lot Mm -hmm. of depth to that. Yeah. (sighs) Well, um, I think that was good. (laughs) I mean, as good as. As good, yeah, this as good, conversation a good discussion. can be. Yeah. This this um this whole week has been about you know mental health issues and you know we we haven't come at it as as uh, being experts or anything and there's certainly a lot more complicated issues out there when it comes to actual clinical diagnoses of certain um, things that you know we haven't even touched on but this is more base level mental health. Um, and trying to keep yourself in check and and to end on this one for the week, I think is uh fitting in that you know grief often signifies the end of something, and it's also one of the most lasting um, issues that you can have that can affect your mental health if uh if you aren't able to process it correctly. Mm -hmm. And I would dare say most people don't process it correctly for a while, at least (laughs) because, um, it's painful every time. And it doesn't matter how many times you've experienced it. I'm sure it's always just as painful, uh, every time it happens. But, um, like we said, the, the way to handle it, it as best you can, is number one to to try <laughs> to not just give in to not let it just uh, rule your life and let you become bitter. Uh, number two 
to do your best to hand it over to God, to lay it at the foot of the cross and ask him to make something beautiful out of it. And uh, also to find uh, comfort in people that care for you and that know what you're going through, or at least know that you're going through something to where you just need someone to cry on, on the shoulder of. Uh, all these things are, are helpful. All these things are good. We've talked about groups. We've talked about accountability. We've talked about therapy this week. And all of these can be good things, too, when overcoming this. Um, we talked about Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery uh, it started as a program for, you know, addictions and things, but has expanded to be uh, things, you know, anger issues and and mental health issues. They even started a mental health initiative um, mm -hmm. a few years ago that was specific in trying to break the stigma that the church has with this. Um, if you are experiencing a level of grief that is seriously disrupting your life to the point where it is keeping you from doing the things that you should be doing. It's keeping you from, uh, handling relationships. It's keeping you from, from moving on. Then something's got to be done about it. You can't just let it fester. You can't just let it sit there and grow because that's going to do a disservice to the person you're grieving. And that's, that's really going to take, the memory that should be should be of the person that you love and informed by that and make it something uh, disastrous in the end. And so you owe it to the person that you're grieving to handle that grief correctly and to help uh, turn that grief into uh, to give it a purpose, to help give it a purpose, to help give it meaning uh, that will last on and even be sort of a legacy for the person that uh, you have lost. And so with that goal in mind, do what you can to, to get help if you need it. And certainly find uh, refuge in the Lord as much as you can, because he's going to be your biggest strength in these hard times. And, uh, your biggest comfort. Uh, you want anything to add? No. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I really want to say coming from a place of experience, um, what I'm going to say is not said, um, just from out of nowhere. Um, grief can change you completely can completely alter your mindset. Um, and it happens without really even knowing without any warning, it happens. Um, and I want you to know that if you have found yourself in a place where you are heavily grieving the loss of someone, um, that is okay. It is okay to grieve, mm -hmm. you know, we know that Jesus wept. We know that he wept over the loss of his friend mm -hmm. and he knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. He knew that Lazarus would walk again, yet he wept. Grief is okay. 
However, if you find yourself in a place where it just feels overwhelming and it feels like it is just absolutely too much that you yourself on your own can handle, please, first of all, know that that does not negate your relationship with Christ. It does not mean that you are not strong in your faith. It does not mean that you're not leaning on Jesus. However, there are things within our brain that we can't even control that just need to be rewired sometimes. And so seek counseling. That is probably the best advice that I can give you. It is not Mm -hmm. a weakness. It is not um, diminishing the healing that we get through Jesus. It is only going to add to and increase the healing that you will eventually see. Your grief will never fully go away. It will never fully end. However, you will be able to remember the person who you are currently grieving with joy because your brain will be rewired. As silly as that may sound for me to say, (laughs) I've witnessed it. I have seen it. I have lived it. Sometimes counseling truly is the only way. Mm -hmm. And uh, along with Jesus, I should say, but... (laughs) It is a good pairing. Yep. Well, Brother Mon, KY, thank you again so much for joining us and sharing your hearts. Um, probably more so than ever. <laughs> this mm. was a tough one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we really do appreciate it. It means the world to us, actually, that you would join us today. Um, we're going to go ahead and close out the call and close out the segment. But thank you all so much. We love you guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We love you, too. All right. That ends our discussion this week on mental health and the MCU. But we want to know what you think. What did you think of our discussions? Is there something that we missed? Come share your thoughts in our Discord at BackRowDiscord.com in the Respond to Show channel. Message us on any of the socials at the LTN or leave us a voicemail at 575-562-8052. When we come back, we'll answer an Ask Us Anything question to close out the show. If you're listening on LTN Radio, then we've got one last music break for you. Coming up, we got Man Cub by Sansone. But right now, it's Amongst the Giants with Black Box. And that's going to do it for the Back Row Morning Show. We hope you enjoyed our discussions and hope you will join us again next week. Remember that we are our full morning shows first exclusively on LTN Radio, LTNOnAir.com, every Monday through Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, you can find our full four, full four, four, four full shows. There you go. <laughs> and our weekly main podcast by searching The Back Row Morning Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the podcast apps. Subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review. Or don't. We're not your parents. We won't be mad. Just disappointed. Check out lovethynerd.com. It's positively jam-packed with articles, podcasts, and videos that cover a wide range of nerdy topics. And just like any ministry, we are largely supported by those willing to partner with us financially. As one of the newest staff members of LTN and a nerd culture missionary, I'm looking to build my support team to help this radio station grow and help my family financially as I pour more focus into all I get to do for LTN. For more information, visit lovethynerd.com slash radiomat or just reach out to me directly. Love Thy Nerd is a qualifying 501c3 nonprofit or organization and your gift is tax deductible and make sure you're following us on all the socials we're on the book the twit and the gram oh and the talk just search for at the back row ltn and connect with us once again i'm radio matt and i'm mo and remember if nobody else tells you we promise it's true 
Jesus, Jesus loves, loves you, nerd. nerd.